0: Hey, it's the Weather Channel Podcast. I'm Ari Sarsalari. I'm a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel. John Erdman is also a meteorologist here at the Weather Channel, but he's a senior meteorologist. He's a, he's, he's a little bit of a better meteorologist than I am. What's up, John? How are you doing? Doing
1: great, Ari. Ready to uh, launch toward hurricane season.
0: Yeah, definitely. I know we talked about uh, severe weather season at points over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, these hurricane outlooks just came out. And, you know, every year this is a it's a really big deal to a lot of people, Um, whether it should be or not. It's up for discussion. And we're going to talk about that. So um, we'll go over the outlook here. Uh, We'll talk about what it means. We'll talk about what it means for you, what it doesn't mean for you. And, uh, you know, we'll also go through a few recent examples to kind of just give you an idea of how these forecasts tend to pan out or sometimes not pan out, what the important things that you need to know about hurricane season are, and uh, things like that. So, John, you want to take it away? I know we've got the uh, weather company forecast. And there's also the Colorado State University forecast, which is one that a lot of people look at every year. I think theirs came out a little bit before ours, but the numbers are not terribly
1: dissimilar, are they? Yeah, so these are these are typical hurricane season forecasts that come out before the season starts. And the idea is to predict the number of named storms that at least reach tropical storm strength, the number of hurricanes, and the number of major hurricanes, in other words, Category 3 or higher in the Atlantic Basin during the season. So there's a number of companies that do this in addition to the weather company. There's uh, North Carolina State University. Colorado State University has been a pioneer behind that, and uh, Dr. Phil Klotzbach is leading that right now. So, uh, in general, what uh, the majority of the outlooks are suggesting is that we'll have a near or slightly above average uh, hurricane season as far as activity is concerned. So, for instance, uh, the Weather Channel, the Weather Company forecast has 13 named storms, six hurricanes, uh, and two of those hurricanes uh, reaching. Category three strength or stronger. And just to give perspective on what that is, over the last, over a 30 year period, uh, the average number of Atlantic storms is 12, the average number of hurricanes is six, and the average number of major hurricanes category three or stronger is three. So again, we're expecting a, a near average. Uh, hurricane season in that outlook. And again, those those are what those outlooks uh, try to detail for us. So just give us numbers.
0: Yeah, the Colorado State one was not too different. Uh, I think they are forecasting 14 named storms, uh, seven hurricanes, and three major hurricanes. So theirs is a little bit more active than ours. But, you know, you you look at this stuff, John, and you know, it's 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 kind of no secret around the building. I'm not a huge fan of these forecasts. You know, a lot of people are interested in them. But, you know, you always hear that saying, it only takes one, you know. When you look at these forecasts, you know, you're talking about how many named storms are there going to be in the Atlantic in 2018. Well, the average is 12. You've got, um, you know, one company that's saying 13, another company that's saying 14. I find that very often I think these forecasts are, you know, pretty close to average usually. Uh, I mean, I guess maybe a slightly more. Can you think of any, John, where the, the seasonal forecast has been,
1: you know, really skewed in one direction? We've had some, uh, I believe, earlier this decade uh, that were uh, certainly a bit higher than what we're seeing for 2018. And, uh, you know, this there are some predictors that go into this. And, again, uh Colorado State University has been one of the pioneers in these types of seasonal forecasts. They look at uh, sea surface temperatures, you know, if you have uh, more warm anomalies and sea surface temperatures in the Atlantic, that's certainly a favorable aspect. Another is uh, the lack of an El Nino, which tends to produce strong shearing winds, particularly over the Caribbean Sea, that can uh, rip apart tropical disturbances trying to become tropical storms or hurricanes. And, you know, so if there's a lack of that, that tends to increase confidence that there will be more of them. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's a number of there's a number of entities out there that make these forecasts. But again, I I think it's important to stress what they do tell us and what they don't tell us, because sometimes they can be oversold.
0: Do you think that initially when these forecasts started coming out, and I actually don't even know, how long ago did we start making these forecasts?
1: Well, this has been uh, going back uh, several decades. Uh, Again, Colorado State University, uh, the late Dr. William Gray was a pioneer in making these seasonal forecasts. And the idea was just to give some kind of some kind of measure as to how active a hurricane season might be. And uh, again, Dr. Dr. Gray's team over many, many years has been refining their forecast doing active research into the various indicators they look into their forecast. So this has been around for quite some time. But, of course, in this day and age, uh, especially in the day and age of social media and uh, 24 by 7 news and uh, the Internet, it, it just gets a lot more play than perhaps it did, say, you know, 20 years ago.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And that's what I was going to say. Is I, th- I, I wonder if back in the day when these things came out, it was kind of meant more for – kind of the inside baseball some of the meteorologists would maybe took take a look at it and just you know kind of factor it in a little bit but you know at the end of the day for a regular person that lives in say you know Charleston South Carolina or Miami Florida you know th- these forecasts they do create buzz and by the way all these opinions I'm giving here obviously they're my own I, I shouldn't have to say that but the point I'm trying to make is that I do have a tremendous amount of respect for the amount of work that goes into these forecasts. I was actually just talking to Dr. Phil Klotzbach the other day. Uh, we went live on the app when when the forecasts came out and did a little interview with him in preparation for that. And he is such a nice guy. He is the coolest dude ever. I, I met him a few years ago also at a um, some some weather event in uh, uh, Ohio. I believe it was Ohio University in Athens. Yeah, that's what it was. But anyway... Um, you know, I asked him specifically, I said, I get that you guys do the forecast. I get that it's a really good forecast and the amount of work that goes into it. But why? What is the reason for it? And he actually gave me a really great answer. He was like, well, yeah, look, at the end of the day, yes, it only takes one. You know, they're uh, they're meant to be, oh, I can't remember the exact words he used, but his point was that when you have a forecast for a little bit more of an active season, then that does you know, intrinsically that actually does increase the odds of the landfall. You know, like that it would that a landfall could happen in a year. Does that make sense? I know I kind of jumbled my words. No,
1: absolutely. Uh, you're you're increasing your odds. It's all about probabilities here. You know, if you have more name storms and more hurricanes, in theory that would increase the odds that if the upper level steering winds are favorable and steering those closer to land, you're going to have more impact. But the fact is that there is no strong correlation. Between the number of storms or hurricanes in any hurricane season and landfalls in any particular area, Uh, so you know we could have, we've had cases before. Say um, most, the the best example I can think of recently was uh, 2010. We had a very active year. We had 19 named storms and 12 hurricanes. So that's more than double the average, but. Despite all that, there was there were no hurricane landfalls in the U.S. and only one tropical storm landfall. So, you know, we can have a huge number of storms, but if the steering currents in the atmosphere are curling them out to sea, in other words, curling them away from the East Coast or away from the Gulf Coast, it doesn't matter how many storms you get. It matters where they go and who they hit. Do you think these forecasts um, are more important maybe to...
0: You know futures and things like that, you get into the stock market you know you 've got a lot of oil rigs that are out in the Gulf and offshore and things like that how just talk a little bit about how that is a factor
1: yeah, I certainly think there there's you know there's there's clientele that's very interested in that certainly if you 're if you 're in shipping interest or shipping routes or um, you know offshore oil rigs or anything in that regard it's it's certainly a value to know that you know we 're expecting more than the average number of named storms, there is value in that. Uh, I think the trick goes for for people who live along the coast. Let's say, well, you know, if we have eight named storms and three hurricanes or if we have, you know, 20 named storms and 15 hurricanes – all I really care about is, am I going to get hit by one of these or two of these or three of these? And, uh, you know, unfortunately, we just, the majority of the seasonal outlooks just can't go into that type of granular detail. You know, we can we can get an intense hurricane developed deep in the uh, eastern Atlantic in the heart of the season in September. But, you know, when the rubber meets the road, the key is, what are the steering currents in the atmosphere at the time that that hurricane approaches, say, the islands of the, the Caribbean, approaches the Bahamas? approaches uh, the east coast of the U.S. That's, that's the key thing that we just can't, we can't look into our crystal ball this far out ahead of time and tell with any certainty, yes, there will be a Cat 3 landfall at such and such a location in the U.S. That, so, of course, that's what everybody wants to know and for obvious reasons. And that's why we say you need to prepare each and every season.
0: Yeah, you really do. And I think that's kind of another reason that, You know, I've never been a huge fan of these forecasts because of the reason that actually hurricane forecasting in the short to midterm is actually pretty darn good. And it's just getting better and better. I'm always amazed at how much better the hurricane center is getting with their forecasts. The cone's getting smaller this year. Uh, We can go through some of the changes. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, look, if you have something like a tornado, right, that thing pops up and it can be on the ground before you even know it. And hopefully, if you're lucky, you know, you can get a 20-minute lead time or something on a warning like that. With hurricanes, say you live in Savannah, Georgia, you get to watch this cone from, like, five, six days out. I mean, you know when the storm forms already, like, off the coast of Africa, and you can track it all the way in. And by the time we get to about, you know, three to five days out, you've got at least a general idea of where the storm could possibly affect you or not. So... You know, at that point, you got a lot of lead time to make your preparations and things like that. And, you know, that's kind of why when we look at these seasonal outlooks and stuff, I, I just want to make sure people don't get too hung up on those numbers. You know, it's, it can be kind of fun to look at, okay, is it going to be worse than last year? Is it going to be, um, you know, not as bad as last year? Uh, what's the general forecast? But because the forecasting is so good with hurricanes, yeah, like John said, I mean, you really just need to prepare
1: every year no matter what right yeah you you need to assume that there's going to be a hurricane threat in your area every year and prepare as if that's going to happen um you know again that you made it's it's common for parts of the east coast to go you know especially up in the northeast seaboard it could it could be 10 15 years before you see another hurricane strike whereas you know you get down toward the gulf coast you know they they tend to hit they can hit every you know seven eight years Twelve years, something like that. So, you know, thankfully they're they're infrequent, but you just don't know from these hurricane season outlooks. And to be fair, uh, the folks that put out hurricane season outlooks are usually pretty clear. They're they're not forecasting landfalls. Uh, they're not saying there's there's definitely going to be a landfall in the west coast of Florida in September. They're not doing that. Just need to be prepared as if you expect a hurricane landfall in your area what would you do? Where would you go? What's your evacuation plan? What's your, are you in a uh, storm surge zone? Know your zone for evacuation. Uh, Just prepare ahead of time. So I will ask you this question then, you know, that being
0: the case, why do we have these hurricane forecasts? What does it mean
1: to the general layperson? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, You know, I think in general, um, you know, from, let me just step away first, for meteorologists, it, it, Tends to give us an idea of how "quote" busy the season is going to be. So, how many storms are we going to be tracking? Um, You know, and and meteorologists track them from the time they first become depressions, from incipient tropical waves off of Africa, or say deep in the Caribbean. So, we're, we're you know, it's it's a good it's a good barometer of how "quote" busy "unquote" the season could be for meteorologists, but but for the general public, you know, it's. It, it's a measure of how your odds may increase that one of these systems. You know, for instance, if we're if we would forecast say 19 named storms, which would really be quite an off the charts seasonal outlook. I think my antenna would be way up if I heard that saying, "Wow, they're 19." So the odds are the odds are higher that at least one of these could make landfall, and it could make landfall near me. Uh, that's the one thing I would take away from these. But again, this particular season, we're we're forecasting the weather company is forecasting thirteen named storms, an average season. But again, an average season could mean three or four landfalls, depending on what the steering winds in the atmosphere are, or it could mean none. So you you just don't know that. So you again, they every single hurricane season you should prepare and have a plan in place in case the it only takes one applies to you. Yeah,
0: I totally agree with that. I mean, that's that's pretty much the 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 plan of action. I mean, regardless of what the forecast is, now's the time to start making your preparations. And speaking of that, John, you know, let's get specific with that. You know, obviously we know what the preparations are if you live in those coastal areas that can be affected by hurricanes, you know, when you're a couple of days out from the hurricane, it includes, you know, boarding up, evacuating, whatever the case might be, but what are some things that you can do now to prepare before the season even starts?
1: Well, first I'll just say there's a, there's an excellent government website out there, ready.gov, uh, where you can uh, get information to help you make a hurricane plan. Uh, for instance, you know if you're a longtime resident of the say the Florida Gulf Coast or. Uh, the Texas coast and you've been there for a while and you know what it's like to prepare and to evacuate Uh, you may just need to refresh your plan but you probably have it already in place at least I I should hope so but you know there's a lot of you know people move to Florida for obvious reasons it's beautiful it's sunny maybe you spent your life living in the uh, living in the north and just want to get away from that but you've never experienced a hurricane before or never experienced a hurricane evacuation before. So it's those people that particularly should keep in mind that they need to make a plan ahead of time. They need to know what evacuation if they're in an evacuation zone, uh, and again, Ready.gov can help. Also, there's a link. Type it up here on my screen just now. Uh, if you go to the National Hurricane Center site at NHC.noaa.gov, you scroll to the bottom. You'll see a li- you'll see a couple of links down there. That say preparing for a hurricane, and also um, uh, a neat. Need- a neat marketing campaign called Hurricane Strong and you click on one of those links and those will help you through the steps it takes to make a, an, uh, a hurricane plan for where you live. So even if you have just moved to Florida, you just moved to the coast of the Carolinas, uh, you can at least develop a plan ahead of time. Uh, using those links.
0: All right, let's go back and look at some years where the forecast was not so good. And, you know, we can look at some where the forecast was good also. <laughs> I, listen, you, I know I'm kind of coming across as a little bit on the, uh, uh, what's the word for it? Maybe devil's advocate. <laughs> I just want the podcast to be interesting, you know? we got to have some different perspectives here. But the, um, you know, you go back to a season like 2005. You guys, obviously, if you were affected by a hurricane in 2005, you know... What year we're talking about? If you weren't, that would be the Katrina year. You know, Wilma. uh, Gosh, Rita. What other
1: ones, John? Dennis was there. That may be somewhat forgotten by some. Uh, Of course, 2004, we had the four hurricanes that hit Florida.
0: I still specifically remember watching the uh, video of Hurricane Charlie hitting Florida. That was 2004,
1: right? Yeah, that was August 2004 and uh, little did we know that that was really the first of what would be just a terrible siege over the next two seasons.
0: Yeah, man, that that uh, that is still up there with maybe the most amazing hurricane video I've ever seen. Um actually, I think some of the video of the wind from Hurricane Harvey last year was also uh, unbelievable. All, obviously last year was a really really active hurricane season in the Atlantic, but the uh, forecasts are for it to be not quite as active as it ended up being last year. So, you know, does that mean you can rest easy? No. But, you know, you still got to make your preparations and everything we've been talking about. Okay, so 2005, we had we what we actually ended up with was 28 named storms, 15 hurricanes, seven major hurricanes, category 3 or higher. The forecasts were obviously way below that, and that's going to happen sometimes. There's nothing you can do about it, but the forecasts were for 12 to 15 named storms, 7 to 9 hurricanes, and 3 to 5 major hurricanes, which, so they were actually forecasting a, um, and an above average season, if I'm not mistaken, there. Yeah, they were definitely they were forecasting an above average season, and it ended up being just a ridiculously crazy above average season.
1: Yeah, and let's just be clear. I mean, no hurricane season outlook is ever ever going to forecast you know 28 named storms. <laughs> um, you know that's you know it goes it goes to a larger you know uh, discussion about forecasting extremes, which you know, in meteorology is particularly difficult. Um, but yeah, I mean, and one other factor in this uh, also is that with satellite techniques, we can actually detect some weaker uh, tropical storms, even what are called subtropical storms, you know, deep in the Atlantic, maybe the the type that we weren't able to detect certainly before the satellite era. So sometimes those name storms numbers can be bumped up a bit because of, our, of the high-resolution satellites that we now have that are able to detect those. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – that was truly a terrible year, and the fact that we we had to go to the Greek alphabet at the end of the year because <laughs> we ran out of hurricane names, um, you know, and we had to go quite a bit, quite a ways into the Greek alphabet, even into January of two thousand six, to actually put a wrap on the year was was incredible. I hope we never see it. I
0: specifically remember so much about that year. I mean, I was in college. I think it was either a sophomore or a junior, but I, I just remember I was working in a kitchen at the time, and we had a big TV up there, and. Just, you know, whatever news station it was on, there was always some massive hurricane. I I specifically remember the close-up of the eye of Katrina as it was approaching New Orleans. I mean, I remember I was standing in front of the grill. I was looking up in the corner. There's just certain moments in life that you just remember, you know, and, of course, it turned. it. You know, I don't even think I understood the scope of how bad that was until, like, later on. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, Man, I mean, just an unbelievable year. Um, let's talk about also, you know, sometimes it can go the opposite way. Um, you look at 2013, uh, they were forecasting 13 to 20 named storms. That's pretty well above average. 7 to 11 hurricanes and 3 to 6 major hurricanes. So that's a, that's actually a pretty darn hefty forecast. I don't know that I've seen one much bigger than that. Um, there might be, but they it ended up being basically an average or a little bit below average season. There were actually no major hurricanes that year, Uh, two hurricanes and 14 named storms, which was, you know, kind kind of in the range there. But there's so much that can happen once the storm forms, you know what I mean? There's so much like mesoscale stuff that's at play, whatever the weather pattern happens to be, things like that. You know, maybe we could talk about that a little bit, like the other things that can affect the forecast, rather than those large-scale things that go into making these
1: long-term seasonal forecasts. Well, sure. You know, I'm glad you brought that up about 2013. That was a that was a strange hurricane season. Part of the reason we had no major Category Three hurricanes, and we only had two hurricanes total. And one of the one of the things that happened that year, well, a couple of things. There was, um, you know, there was repeatedly just too much wind shear. So, in other words, wind shear is the change in direction and or speed of the winds with height and wind shear is a hurricane's enemy. You know, hurricanes like to be loners out there with very little very little change in winds with height. They like to concentrate all the thunderstorms in its core. Uh, and what happens with wind shear is then you 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 rip apart that core of the hurricane. So what we saw repeatedly in 2013 is we had we had increased wind shear yeah over the caribbean sea and in parts of the atlantic basin and then we also had dry air that just kept just kept getting sucked into these things as they were trying to trying to uh, either form or strengthen so it's those twin those twin factors in 2013 that uh, it, it wreaked havoc with the with the season's forecast that year, um, and uh, you know we're 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 thankful for that. You know we're thankful for increased wind shear and and uh, dry air because uh, again it, it it kept the hurricane season at bay, relatively speaking. Yeah, definitely.
0: I'm trying to think of anything else. I mean, we've pretty much uh, really. Gone through everything that has to do with this hurricane outlook. Here, uh, you got anything else,
1: John? Well, I was going to toss it to our producer Jim Robinson over there. He's uh... oh, I totally forgot.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh, I see how this works. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, you know, I uh, I remember my friends and family in Florida who were in the cone for Irma, and I just remember telling them, "Take this seriously. You got to get out of there because." You don't know what is going to happen. You don't know exactly where it's going to go. And I just remember being honestly afraid that they were being so complacent about whether or not they were actually going to get out of Dodge. And it seems like that's always kind of been an issue in Florida. You're talk you're talking about like in the short term when there's a, a storm that's forecast to actually hit the area and then people are still taking it? Oh yeah, wow. That's right. <laughs> yeah, you do see that sometimes and I, I I've seen this with a couple of storms that we've covered, you know, you you cuz social media now, you'll just see people posting like, "Eh, I'm staying home." I remember people staying in uh Key West when Irma was coming through and I just I just couldn't believe that. That's just crazy to me. Uh go ahead, John. I think you were saying something. No. no.
1: Uh, Jim, that was great. You brought that up. That, that's a general problem in all of weather. It won't happen to me it happens somewhere else it happens to someone else it won't happen to me right until but, it does until it does and you know uh, we we have an advantage this hurricane season because we just had we just went through last season and it happened to puerto rico it happened to barbuda it happened to the virgin islands it happened to cuba it happened to the texas coast and it happened to florida You know, there were a lot of people that were hit last year. It was an awful, awful, one of the worst hurricane seasons we've had, you know, certainly since 2005. So unfortunately, the answer is it can happen to you. Um, Ask anybody in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands. You have to prepare every single year as if the one hurricane that may make landfall makes landfall in your county along your coast. And you can't be complacent about that. I think
0: that this kind of relates to our severe weather talk from not long ago, too, where, you know, we were talking about how, you know, like 90 percent of the people in the warnings don't actually experience that weather. So they get complacent. You know, the thing with the hurricanes is they're so flipping big. You know what I mean? I mean, you're going to be affected by it somehow. Uh, maybe you've been through a couple hurricanes where, you know, you haven't been hit by the eye wall, and you're like, okay, this is a hurricane, whoop-dee-doo, it's really strong wind for a while, we get some branches down, life goes on. But, I mean, go, just, we have YouTube nowadays. This is why I love using video and forecasts. Gosh, I'm just looking at some of the stuff from last year. Harvey, Maria Irma, those are all Category 4 landfalls. A, categ- a legit Category 4 landfall is... Something to be seen, I mean, it is just like it's very difficult to imagine that kind of sustained wind, and that's why you know we're lucky that we have video nowadays, so we can go and look at it i I couldn't believe what I was watching when I saw Harvey making landfall. I know that Harvey was uh remembered for the flooding obviously that it that it caused up around the Houston area, but people forget sometimes that when that thing came on shore. I mean that was a legit cat four landfall. <laughs> you know the wind the wind was sustained well over 100 miles an hour, and uh, it was really really scary stuff to watch. Did you did you see any of that, John?
1: Oh yeah, I mean that's you know well what's probably most memorable about Harvey is what it did to Houston and Beaumont and Port Arthur with the flooding. But you know just ask anybody in Rockport, Texas, you know just up the Texas coast from Corpus Christi, and uh, that was a that was a devastating landfall, and it was. It was very close, as a lot of these hurricane landfalls are, to being even a bigger disaster for, say, Corpus Christi, Texas, a a larger city along the Texas coast. If that made landfall, you know, 10 miles or so further down the coast, all of a sudden it's a disaster for a a large city. You know, I have some family that lives in Orlando that was quite concerned about Irma uh, because they had just moved down to Orlando literally weeks before Hurricane Charlie in 2004, and they said, we don't want to ride through another Charlie again, you know, should we leave? So, this isn't just a concern if you live along the coast. Obviously, there's, you need to be prepared uh, for, you know, inland wind damage and flooding, uh, you know, rainfall flooding, even if you're, you know, 100 miles inland from the coast. So, this is a preparedness thing that's, that's uh, for folks, you know, near the beaches, but also, also inland as well. Yeah, and John, if I could, you know, you hear a lot of stories about, oh, scientists are looking at a way to fly jets into hurricanes and
0: making them just disappear. And I I want to give you guys just a couple of seconds to explain that, whether it's actually possible or if it's hogwash or what. You want to go first, John, while I think about what the heck my answer to this is going to be?
1: Yeah, I I think it's a problem of scale. You know, hurricanes are are just so massive, have so much energy. You know, as costly as hurricanes are, you know, again, if we've we've had damage estimates from Hurricane Harvey of 125 billion dollars with a B, uh, one of the costliest on record. But you know, just that the, the scale and the the amount of energy that a hurricane encompasses, you know, it's just it's just unfathomable but what could be done by man to affect it. And you know, even if we can do that, let's say let's say somehow let's do a let's do just a simple thought experiment. Let's say we could divert the hurricane or, or weaken the hurricane. Well, if we divert the hurricane, then it goes somewhere else. Um so if we if we divert the hurricane away from city A, if we could do that, it's gonna it could hit city B and that brings up a whole Open up opens up a whole other can of worms there you're gonna start a civil yeah, war it's gonna
0: be like South Carolina versus even Florida. If, even if we could even <laughs> if we could weaken be it
1: before landfill well that would be great right but again the, the amount of energy in a hurricane is massive it's it's beyond anything that we could do and if we weakened it uh, we still have a rainfall flood threat as we you know as we saw last year with Harvey just sitting around there for five or six days so uh, I mean it's a it's nice it's a nice idea it would be great if but it's it's it, it brings up a lot of other issues even beyond the meteorology
0: I'm with you I think uh, I think it's more the real estate than anything I mean these things are just so big you know I feel like in I, I could see it as maybe a possibility that in our lifetime or our kids lifetimes maybe we could start to have some kind of effect on super cells. you know maybe we could find something that we could shoot up there in a large enough quantity that you know i'm just spitballing here but that in my mind seems like it's at least somewhat reasonable and maybe feasible but when i think about a hurricane i mean just i don't think we're even remotely close with any kind of technology it's just so darn big it's just the amount of real estate that it covers that would be my answer does that is what do you think jim yeah, I'm satisfied. That works. I was just curious. I always hear about that stuff. So I'll I'll let you guys wrap. No, that was actually a really good question. I I, I actually enjoyed having to come up with an answer for that one. <laughs> it made me think a little bit. Um okay, all right. that was my real goal. Yes. It's always good to think a little bit. Um, I think that we should uh, end this podcast now. What do you think? I think it's run its course. Hey, uh, thanks again for listening here. And make sure you subscribe if you are enjoying what you're listening to. John, thanks for hanging out with me again. I always love doing podcasts with you, man.
1: It's always a pleasure. And by the way... um, you. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play or Stitcher or go to podcast.weather.com and leave us a review, by the way. Yeah,
0: seriously. I mean, we're not just going to sit here and ask you for a five-star review. I mean, review the podcast, tell us what you think, and we want to actually get that information to use it and then give us five. Yeah, (laughs) but we want to use the information to make it, you know, what you want. So uh, thanks again for hanging out with us. We'll see you back here next time.